You didn't know that Pastor Joel can rap, right? That was all freestyle, right, Joel? I don't know. David on. You're a good singer. They're good. Thank you, Jessica, Susie, Pastor Joel, and David. Thank you for uh, giving us that special presentation. Um, today is Easter Sunday. So welcome. If this is your first time at New Philly, welcome to church. Welcome to New Philly. We're glad that you can be here with us here today. Uh, this is a church that's full of joy, a church that is full of God's presence. And today we come together to worship our God and to celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has died and has risen and is seated upon the throne, and that in the future, that he will return with great glory to bring his people and gather them together and to take vengeance upon his enemies and to judge the world in righteousness. This is the good news that we celebrate today on this Easter Sunday. We like chocolate bunnies and marshmallow bunnies and the Easter rabbit I still cannot figure out how rabbits were associated with eggs because they don't lay eggs. As you guys didn't know, rabbits don't lay eggs. I guess the chicken was disqualified because they're not as cute. I have no idea how that got into the Christian holiday. But hey, you know, I'm, I got no hate for Easter bunnies, all right? They're cute, all right? I can't hate upon animals that cute. And I have fond memories of painting Easter eggs. And uh, we used to do Easter egg hunts uh, back in my uh, church in Philly. We used to go to the park and then the adults, you know, while we were eating brugogi and stuff, they would go out into the mountains and they would hide all these Easter eggs. And then they come and tell us, you know, go, go do an Easter egg hunt. And so we go around hunting and man, there was always those youth group kids that were always so good at finding where the eggs were. And so I would come back with like two or three eggs, and then there would be that youth group kid, kid that had like 30 eggs. Then it didn't really matter because nobody would eat all them, all them eggs, you know. You, don't, you can't eat that many eggs. And sometimes they weren't hard-boiled enough so that, you know, when you peel it, it starts like, and you just get, end up with the yolk. Anyway, all right. I have no idea how all that got into Easter, but one thing's for sure, Jesus has risen. Amen. That is the hope of the Christian faith, is that there is a resurrection of the dead. There were a group of Jewish scribes back in Jesus' day called the Sadducees, and they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They had some strange beliefs of the, about the afterlife because of different Greek philosophies that had gotten into their system. But the central hope and good news of Christianity is that there is a resurrection of the dead. And that Jesus, the prototype of that, he has risen, he's defeated death on our behalf so that all who call upon his name will share in that same glory, in that same resurrection. You know, if you have a very simple view of Christianity, you think that when you die and go to heaven, you're going to be this disembodied spirits 
just floating around on the clouds of heaven and thinking, oh, this is heaven, this is great, you know? But the truth of the matter is, that's not what the fathers of our faith believed. They fought and they died and they combated heresy to give us the belief in a resurrection of the physical body. And that Jesus symbolized that. He was a prototype of that. He was the firstborn of that. And Jesus, the Son of God, the one who created the entire universe, you know what's amazing is, when Jesus returns, he's going to look like a man. Jesus is right now in heaven, and Jesus is not like faceless, and Jesus is not like, you know, Jesus is a man. He's in a man's body. You know, that, you might, that might freak you out. That might, that might weird you out. But you know what? It's actually good news. Because when you get before his presence, if you die early or if Jesus returns next week, and you get in his presence, you are going to see a man standing before you. You're going to be able to touch him. If you want to hug him, you can hug him. But there will be a long line. <laughs> but you hug him. You want to go eat with him? He'll eat with you. He is in a physical body. And when you also are resurrected, you will also be renewed in a glorified physical body. That means you're going to need to continue to go to the bathroom. You're going to continue to need to eat. The physical body is not an evil thing. That is a Greek philosophy that has gotten into a lot of Christianity. But, you know, a lot of Greek philosophers, Neoplatonists, People who believe in Plato's beliefs, and they kind of renewed it. They believe that matter is evil. And so anything physical is evil. Sex is evil. You know, uh, overeating is evil. Like anything to do with matter is evil. And those kinds of beliefs seeped into the, into the church somewhat. But the early fathers and the apostolic fathers of our faith, they knew that that was not the teaching of the Bible. In fact, if you look at Jewish culture, that's not the way they view the world. Jewish culture... In fact, Jews, they don't have a negative view on sex. You know, like uh, a church father that I really look up to is Augustine. And Augustine has given us really great theology, a great thinker. You guys know that in high school, if you go to American high school, Augustine's City of God is required reading. I confess I didn't read it. (laughs) I still haven't read it, but I've read excerpts. And uh, I've read enough of Augustine to know he's a brilliant man. But one area that I can't say he was an expert in is in the area of sex and marriage. So I did a research paper last semester or, or, or a year ago about Augustine's view of sex and marriage. And it was not biblical. It was all like Neoplatonic. And he used to live a very promiscuous lifestyle. And he had like a child uh, out, of wet, uh, out of wedlock. He had, he had a child from a mistress. Things like that. And so he had a lot of guilt about his old promiscuous life. And so he used to say the matter is evil. And, he, and so he didn't say matter is evil, but he had a very low view on sex. A low view on marriage. But if you read the Jewish Song of Solomons in the Old Testament, and you look at the consistency of what the Hebrews thought about sex, you know that the, the Jews did not think that sex was evil. And neither should you, because God does not think that sex is evil. Sex is a good thing. I don't know how I got into this. This is Easter Sunday. Are there a lot of children in here? I'm sorry. This is, this is a message for somebody. I'm telling you right now. Sex is not evil. 
It is created by God as a gift of God, but Satan has a way of taking the gifts of God and distorting it, perverting it. But it still stands that it's a beautiful gift of God. And it is a beautiful gift when it is experienced according to God's ways in the covenant of marriage. Sex outside of marriage is a deviation, is a perversion. But sex within marriage is a beautiful thing. It is a way in which you can glorify God. It's a way in which you can reflect the intimacy between Christ and the church. Let me get away from that. Let me, let me come back to my message today. Uh, I'm going to start today by talking about North Korea. Because one thing I'm concerned about is right now, the numbness of the church to what's happening with North Korea. The numbness of South Koreans to what is happening with North Korea. So if you did not know, let me catch you up on some of the news that has been going on about North Korea. Recent months, North Korea did some nuclear tests. They flew out a missile, and after that, they did an underground nuclear test. It was detected, and the United Nations, including China and Russia, they did a a very harsh sanction because uh, one thing that North Korean regime enjoys is luxury goods. You know, uh, Kim Kim Jong-il, before Kim Jong-un, the current president of North Korea, Kim Jong-il, he used to have a whole fleet of luxury cars. And he has these vacation homes all over North Korea. So he really enjoys like the finest things in life. But with these UN sanctions, it cut off all those supplies for the regime. So notably, they got very angry. Okay? And uh, since that UN sanction went into effect, North Korea has upped their rhetoric of war. And on March 11th, they declared the armistice that has brought peace upon this peninsula. There was never a peace treaty that was signed after the Korean War. There was an armistice, just an agreement to stop firing arms. That's what brought peace on this peninsula. There is no peace treaty, and North Korea declared that armistice null and void. They called it invalid. Now, North Korea in the past has given similar rhetoric. But if you really look carefully at what's coming out of North Korea right now, it is different. And, uh, And you know what? If you're an expert, you already know that it's different. And if you're prayerful, you may have already sensed there's something different happening right now. Now, it may be by God's design why so many in the church right now are veiled to to what's really happening. But I need to talk about it. I need to talk about it. I need to talk about it just to to let y'all know that there's something crazy that's brewing. Now... After this message, my, my prayer is not that all of y'all will pick up and pack up and leave Korea. Okay, and, and move to Thailand or America or somewhere safer. Okay, that's not my, that's not what my hope. Uh, if after what I share here at the early part of my message, if after what I share you feel secure, it should be based on your faith in God, not in your ignorance. So if your security right now is based on ignorance, I want to break that ignorance right now. Okay. March 11th, North Korea declares the armistice invalid. And over the last few weeks, uh, America has flown B-52 bombers. And then they flew 
B2 stealth bombers. Now, they're stealth for a reason. Okay, if they flew over Korea, nobody would have known. But the United States put it into the press that two B-2 bombers, stealth bombers with, with uh, up to like 14 nuclear warheads, they flew across Korea. And that was sort of like the American government's way of telling South Korea, you know, don't panic. Little knowing the U.S. government didn't, was not aware that nobody's, nobody's panicking in South Korea right now. <laughs> I guess they didn't really have to do that. Maybe it was for just America's own kind of security. But they, blew the, they, they flew these B-2 bombers. And since then, the rhetoric each day from out of North Korea's central news agency has been more and more harsh. And Kim Jong-un has put North Korea's army on standby, put all of their missiles on standby. And by the way, the majority of those missiles are hidden all over mountains of North Korea along the DMZ. We don't know where all of them are. And they're all pointed at either South Korea or some kind of U.S. T- target, like Guam or Hawaii or something. Okay. And uh, on March 30th, which was that, today or yesterday? That was yesterday. Uh, Kim Jong-un officially declared that uh, they're in a state of war. Okay. And so they've already declared war. They're putting out videos of troops you know, you know, doing all these exercises. If you didn't know, this is what's happening. Okay. And uh, they claim that any conflict will not be limited to a local war, but will develop into an all-out nuclear war. So let me read to you uh, what they posted the other day. Uh, I can't read the whole thing because a lot of it's just you know, belligerent rhetoric, but I'll read some of it. The moves of the U.S. imperialists to violate the sovereignty of DPRK, that's the formal name of North Korea, and encroachment upon its supreme interests have entered an extremely grave phase. Under this situation, the dear respected Marshal Kim Jong-un convened an urgent operation meeting on the performance of duty on the strategic rocket force of the Korean People's Army for a firepower strike and finally examined and ratified a plan for firepower strikes. The important decision made by him is the declaration of a do-or-die battle to provide an epical occasion for putting an end to the history of the long-standing showdown with the U.S. and opening a new era. All things are different from what they used to be in the past. Time has come to stage a do-or-die final battle. Okay? Now, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il never used this kind of language. Um, News outlets right now are also reporting that South Koreans are very apathetic and that no one in South Korea is worried. I've been talking to South Koreans. None of them are worried except a few of the older generation because they, they've seen the consistency of the rhetoric and they recognize something's different right now. Uh, this is good in the sense that the country is not panicking and it's not going to hurt the economy. But it's troubling because it's completely obvious. South Korea is completely oblivious, not obvious, oblivious to the real threat that's being raised right now. News outlets keep saying that all of this is a temper tantrum by North Korea to the UN sanctions, that it's going to eventually go away, that North Korea or or North Korea is doing this for a domestic purpose of strengthening Kim Jong-un's leadership. You probably heard that. Or that North Korea is doing this for diplomatic ties because they desire diplomatic ties with the U.S., 
I personally don't see any of those motives at work in here. Okay, the rhetoric here is not, hey, uh, give me a phone call, Mr. Obama. Like Dennis Rodman just came back from North Korea. Dennis Rodman, uh, his whole thing was, look, this guy just wants a phone call from Obama. Okay, look, I don't, I don't see that. You know, I, I know that they've desired diplomatic direct ties in the past, and U.S. has always gone around it. But that's not what I really see here. What I see is a desperate regime that's starting to come to, the, to a place where they realize they have nothing left to lose. Their country's falling apart. Maybe there's some, uh, there has been some upheaval in different parts of the country. Uh, these sanctions are pretty much going to drive the economy into whatever ground is left they have. Uh, they're in a very do-or-die situation. And this is a desperate regime. And so I believe that the U.S. government is intentionally downplaying it. But if you really read, read between the lines, Chuck Hagel, they're all pretty nervous. Chuck Hagel said, one mistake, one miscalculation, and this thing's going to blow out into a whole, full-out nuclear war. Now, if, if, if a war broke out on this peninsula, let me just give you a short summary of the ramifications. All right? Most of you in here will all be dead within three hours. It takes only four minutes for missiles to reach the city. We're only 30 miles from DMZ. Okay? And within three hours, most of the city, even if they didn't use nuclear weapons, just conventional weapons would destroy and demolish most of the city. There'll be millions of casualties. There's already 23 million people in this vicinity right now. It would affect the global economy. Because Korea is third or fourth in terms of uh, economic activity in Asia. Um, it would also bring a, a very difficult situation for China, which is a nuclear-holding country, for Russia. They both have geopolitical interests because North Korea is the last geographic um, buffer zone between an American-backed South Korea and Russia and China. So North Korea borders both of those countries. And traditionally, Russia and China have stood as a strong ally for North Korea. But if there was to be a war that will put China and Russia in a place where they have to make a decision what they're going to do about these. Because if Korea is united, China has repeatedly expressed that they are threatened by United Korea. They are economically uh, uh, attracted to it, but militarily they're threatened by United Korea. Um. Anyway, to sum it up, uh, it will not be pretty. There will be a lot of death, a lot of destruction. So this is the, the real threats that are before us. And I think, I think you guys should pray. Not be like, well, well, you know, if it's God's will that it happens, you know, what's the, what's the use of praying? What's my prayers going to do? Uh, prayer has been known to change the course of history. Change, uh, some things God may have willed, but how it plays out is determined by how we pray. Just look at your lives. God wills certain things to happen in your life, but how those things play out, a lot to do with whether you pray or not, or whether your mom pray for you or not. Some of you in here, your life will be in utter destruction and chaos if it was not for the prayers of your parents. 
especially in the Korean American community. Korean, Korean Americans, once they go to college, they are some of the most reckless young people in the world. But somehow, they do okay. It's because of your prayer, parents' prayer. All right. So that's North Korea. I needed to put that out there. Why? Because I want to break your ignorance, understand what's really happening, and start answering the call of God to pray. Now, if you connect this with a joint prayer meeting message, for those who are not familiar with this, don't worry about it, uh, where Pastor John Michael preached about the Harbinger, a book, that, uh, a fiction book that was released in America that actually is based on factual prophetic signs that have happened since 9-11. And these are all signs, according to the Bible, of God's judgment falling upon a nation that made a covenant with God at its birth. You know, America was born out of a covenant with God. People may argue that and whatnot, but if you look at the history, there were prayer meetings that took place at the birth of the nation. There were covenants and promises that the forefathers made with God. And as those things have been broken continuously, there is the hand of God's grace that is lifting off of America right now. If you just watch the last six months of weather reports, America has never been pounded with so many natural disasters ever in its history. Any smart meteorologist, any honest meteorologist will tell you that. But they, for they, they don't want to cause any panic, or if they, don't, if they have like a global warming agenda, they, they don't want to cause panic. But other than that, they, they will try to calm people down and say, oh, no, th- these things always happen. No, they didn't. I lived in New York City for eight years. I never saw what happened in New York City this past six months. Pounded again and again. I used to go to Seaside Heights, you know, where they used to you know, videotape uh, Jersey Shore, right? I used to go to Seaside Heights. I used to go to all those New Jersey beaches. Go there right now. There's nothing. The pier is completely destroyed. There's nothing there. This judgment of God is just, just, I mean, people can argue what the real source is, but you can't eliminate the possibility that this may be a sign of God's warning, a judgment for America to turn. Now, the important thing is not that America as a political uh, entity turns because there's a lot of politics politicians that are not christians the important thing is how the american church responds right now and so the american people and the american church the way they responded is osama bin laden is the enemy the taliban's the enemy and they and they've never they've never really turned in their hearts a turning toward god a repentance from their ways especially in the american church and the turning toward god that hasn't really been happening and so it's just been, you know, uh, the Taliban, Osama. And so we just got Osama, right? A year and a half ago or something. We, we knocked him dead, right? And so, so, you know, no problem, no more problem. We're destroying Al-Qaeda, Ar- destroying the Taliban, you know? Well, what's happening now? You got North Korea in your face. Now, I know North Korea is wicked. I'm not saying North Korea is God's instrument, to uh, achieve his purposes. But you know what? God has a, a precedence for doing that. You know, in my Old Testament uh, prophetic books class, 
I'm studying, uh, reading about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the major prophets. The theology of these prophets will boggle your mind. Because one of their theologies is that Babylon, this wicked and idolatrous nation, was actually called like the servant of God. It was God's instrument to bring judgment on God's people. That was their theology. So don't think God doesn't have a precedence for using wicked nations to dispense judgment. And you know what? The Bible always says judgment starts with the house of God. It always starts with the church. So God will use these types of events to call the church to repent and to turn. Stop being so divided. Stop, you know, stop allowing a church to be run like a very religious, cultural Christianity church. Start standing for the word of God. Start believing the promises of God. Start turning and repenting of different ways. Now, I'm going to shift right now. I'm going to shift. I'm going to shift. And uh, I'm going to share something very personal. This is all connected to my message. Uh, I just put something into flight right now. And uh, I know you guys are thinking about it. North Korea and all that stuff, right? <laughs> but um, I, need, I need to put something else into flight right now. Okay, It's very personal. But uh, I'm going to share with you. <clears throat> On Valentine's Day, February 14th, Aaron and I found out that we were pregnant. Okay? So for those who are on leadership, you guys already know that. For those who are not on leadership, that's what happened. Now listen. Later that same night, we went on a Valentine's Day dinner, and we were so rejoicing and so happy that we were pregnant. And it was a miracle because Aaron hadn't, hadn't been ovulating for almost a whole year. So we got prayer from the leaders of the church, and then for her to get pregnant, it was a miracle. Later that same night, Valentine's Day, we took another test, and it came out negative. So we were disappointed. In fact, for Erin, she cried because it, it felt like she lost the baby. Even though, you know, in the natural, it looked like we just took the test wrong, you know, and so... The test, when you take it, you're supposed to look at the sign within like 10 minutes or something. Within like six or seven minutes, if it's positive, it'll show. But then uh, I had read the test after Aaron. Aaron took the test at like 3 in the morning. And then I looked at the bar at like 10 a.m. And I was like, oh, we're pregnant. We're pregnant. And so Aaron got all excited. We both thought we were pregnant. But when she took the test later that night, it came out negative. So we were very disappointed. And, and she, was, she was crying. And, and it felt like you know, we just lost the baby. Even though it looked like we just read the pregnancy test wrong. That same day, February 14th, uh, our church has been on an office building search. Because uh, we're trying to move to a new office in the Hongdae area. That same day, there was a building, a green wall building called, we called it the Hulk. <laughs> and I went to the building uh, contract signing with the owner. But decided there was just too many bad signs. And so I decided not to sign for the contract. And so it was a little disappointing that we didn't sign for that building. But then the next day, we found this amazing facility called the West Gate. A little bit expensive, but it was amazing. It, it had the facilities uh, to uh, facilitate our office, our prayer tabernacle. It could even host like our leadership meetings. You know, our leadership meetings these days are close to 200 people. And so we need a big space to have our leadership trainings and things like that. 
And so this space was a little expensive, but it was like our dream building. And we, f- we saw positive signs of God's favor. And it looked like the owner was willing to let the church move in. A lot of times, <clears throat> building owners, when they hear about the tenant, you know, what, what are you guys doing? A cafe? PC Vang? Even like a bar. They, they like bars. But the moment they hear church, oh, no, no church. I think churches here have a reputation for not paying rent on time. <laughs> so for all the Korean churches that have gone before us, thank you very much. <laughs> but we saw this building called the Westgate, and so we, we really thought we'd go for it. Sunday, February 17th, a few days later, Aaron took another test. And this time, within seven minutes, it came out positive. And so that, on, that Sunday, we were just so happy. We were just so excited. Uh, and it also gave me the confidence. I thought that that pregnancy uh, test sign was, was a sign that God will give us the Westgate as our new office. So I, I, just, I just went real confident, all right? I'll confess that my prophecy was wrong. But I prophesied real confident. I was like, I prophesied that we will get the Westgate. Yeah, the Lord's given us the Westgate. And he's given us signs to confirm it. All right? Hey, we prophesy in part, okay? Um, and then the next day, February 18th, the owner of the Westgate, he canceled our appointment and he postponed it to a couple days later. In fact, he ended up postponing our meeting over and over and over and over again, like three or four times. A few days later, Friday, February 22nd, Aaron had some bleeding and pain. That same day, the owner of the Westgate building decided not to allow us to move in. So he canceled on us. And so that was disappointing. And although he's not a Christian, the owner consulted a pastor friend. And this pastor friend told him that having a church in his building would not be wise. Thank you, Moksanim, <laughs> whoever you were. Anyway, so the entire core leaders and our trustees were disappointed, but we stayed hopeful. The next day, Aaron and I went to see a doctor because she had that bleeding and pain. And the doctor confirmed that we were six weeks pregnant. It was a healthy pregnancy, and it was too early to see a baby yet. So we had to come back at another time to see the heartbeat. That same day, we went to the New Philly leadership meeting, and we announced that we were pregnant. And all the leaders started jumping up for joy and dancing and hugging each other and crying. It looked like we won the Super Bowl. Everyone was so ecstatic because they had all prayed for this miracle. And seeing this pregnancy happen was a sign of this uh, answered prayer. A few days later, Wednesday, February 27th, the New Philly staff, we moved out of of our office in Itaewon. Because the owner of our office, he signed a contract with a new tenant without asking us about our move out date. Since we didn't have a new building to move into yet... We were going to fight and try to negotiate a a delayed move-out date. But then God gave me a dream. And in this dream, he told me that the situation we are facing is a test. And he said that if you would be willing to bless and to yield, that God will release a great financial blessing. If I'd be willing to yield and bless the new tenant that's coming in, because eventually, if we fought the owner, the new tenant will get screwed over. And so... Uh, we decided to yield. And so even though we had no office to go to, we decided, you know what? We're going to bless the owner. We're going to bless the new tenant. We're just going to move out. We know this is an injustice. 
But we're, you know what? We're going to leave that to the Lord. And we're going to choose to bless in this situation. And a little mini story here is that the realtor who was overseeing this, this person had kind of manipulated and, and kind of stretched things for us and just was, was trying to just get the owners, help the owner get his way. And so we didn't like this realtor. But when the realtor came in, she was like, oh, like, please, just can you move out early, all this stuff? And we're... And I was like, no, I was ready to fight, you know. But then, you know, God reminded me of that dream. So I said, all right, you know what? Don't worry about it. We'll move out whenever you want. We'll move out. Next week, we'll move out. And when I told her that, she started crying. Because this woman, she started saying, I feel like, I felt like up until this point, the whole world was against me. She just started crying. And she said, my husband died last month. And I've been trying to run his business since then. And nothing's been working out for me. And this is the first time that something's working out for me. Thank you so much. And she knew that we were doing them a favor. She says, thank you so much. And so Pastor Myoha personally really did not like this realtor. <laughs> but God was also teaching her about the power of meekness and the power of blessing someone, even when they, give you, they, when they are unjust to you. And uh, what ended up happening that day was we ended up praying for her. We're like, would you like some prayer? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, I want some prayer right now. So we ended up praying for her right there. <laughs> and Myeonga prophesied over her in Korean. And she just could not stop crying. You could tell that she had indeed lost. She had been a widowed. She had been widowed and she was going through a really tough time. And so, you know, there was that kind of narrative within all of that. And God wanted, I guess, her to be blessed as well. And so, hey, yeah, we moved out. Wednesday, February 27th, and we pulled all our stuff into storage, and then that same day, Aaron had some more bleeding and pain, so we went to the doctor the next day. Thursday, February 28th, the doctor looked at the symptoms, did an ultrasound, and noticed that the sac was still empty, and this is only like five days after her telling us it's a healthy pregnancy. Five days later, she's looking at it with some bleeding and pain accompanying this ultrasound, and she, she tells us it's a miscarriage. And so she recommended that we get a DNC to terminate the pregnancy four days later. And so this is devastating. A DNC, you know, you pretty much you, you, you remove the sac to minimize uh, the risk of infection. This was devastating. Erin was, uh, she was broken. She couldn't stop crying. And for all the promises that God had given us regarding this promise, uh, this pregnancy, it didn't make any sense to us. So we, there was just all this disappointment and all this emotion. I was just trying to believe that God was still going to give us a healthy pregnancy. Um, so it was, a, it was a tough day. It was a very difficult day. The same day, I went to settle accounts with the office owner. And this guy was more godless than I thought. Despite us yielding and blessing him uh, with this early move-out date, he tried to exploit us further by making us pay for realtor fees up to $800, fees that he's responsible for. So I wanted to fight him. You know, I'm coming from the doctor. I'm now going to meet him. I'm like, this is the last thing I need. Who do you think you are? I really wanted to just fight him. I just, you know. But I felt the Lord say, he cannot take anything from you. If he doesn't get this money from you, he's going to manipulate it out of the widowed realtor. 
So just lay it down. Lay it down as a gift. So Myung and I, we went to the office and we decided, you know what? We're going to lay it down as a gift. And the owner was surprised and all, you know, all this stuff. And they tried to manip- manipulate us over another $50. And, uh, hey, all right, go ahead, take it. All right. But watch out. Hey, I pray mercy for him, right? I said, Lord, Lord, mercy upon that, that man because, well, watch out. If he doesn't turn from his ways, he has just exploited money from a church. How godless do you have to be to, uh, how knuckleheaded and godless do you have to be to not get that? Even, you know, smart agnostics wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even do that to like, like Buddhist community or something, you know? You don't know what them Buddhists are going to you know, pray after you leave. But I don't know, man. This guy, very godless man. So uh, after this, uh, over the next few days, Aaron and I decided to wait and pray for a miracle. There were testimonies online of empty sacks and how some babies appear late into the pregnancy on the ultrasound. And so, you know what? We decided we were just going to wait and pray. And we decided to try a second opinion at another doctor. The week later, Pastor Sunny flew into Korea. She was here doing a, a crazy rescue mission to Indonesia where some girl was like in this crazy hostage situation. It's like the movie Taken. You ever see the movie Taken? That's Pastor Sunny for you right now. Liam Neeson <laughs> times 10. <laughs> Pastor Sunny went in there. She rescued this girl. It was crazy, man. And the spirit, she was throwing elbows, karate chops. And she, got, she rescued the girl. And then she, she made a stop over in Korea because she heard about uh, what we were going through. So Pastor Sunny, uh, if you don't know, uh, she is our spiritual mother. She's our spirit, uh, Pastor Benjamin and Sunny, they're our spiritual mother and father. So they mentor us, they pray for us, they teach us, they cover us. She flew into Korea and we went with her to the doctor. And we went prayed up. We were expecting to see a, a baby's heartbeat. We were so excited. Pastor Sonny's like, it's it. This is it. And so we felt so comforted by her presence. And we went and she went into the doctor's room with us to look at the ultrasound with an empty sack. So the doctor, this was the first time seeing us. So she recommended, you know, I might be wrong. It looks like a miscarriage. It look, I might be wrong. So why don't you return the next week? and We'll do another ultrasound. And so we said, all right, that sounds like we can keep praying into it. And uh, having Pastor Sonny during that week was a huge comfort to us, especially for Aaron. You know, Aaron realized something, that in waiting for this miracle, she felt like God's presence was on the other side of this miracle. That we wouldn't feel his presence and love until we experienced the actual breakthrough. So in waiting for this miracle, she felt very isolated very distant from God as she had to overcome all these feelings of disappointment on her own. And it was hard for her to share with, you know, people in the community. And even when we shared, you know, most people were like, Hey, don't worry. Just, you know, God's going to do a miracle, you know? And, and, you know, we appreciate their words of hope and faith, but nobody was empathizing with the actual pain and disappointment she was having to overcome to get to that place of faith. So very difficult time for her. And Pastor Sonny uh, gave Aaron a powerful revelation that God is not present on the other side of this miracle, but that God is fully present with her right now. And that Jesus was fully present with her 
in the doctor's room when she first heard the news of a miscarriage. That Jesus was the one who was holding her hand. You know, and, that, and that's the revelation of God, Emmanuel. Now, our God is a God who is with us at all times. And so, uh, Pastor Sonny left. The next week, we went back to the doctor. In between, Erin had a lot of pain and symptoms of her pregnancy were starting to disappear. Her nausea, things like that were starting to disappear. So, in the natural, it looked like, man, this pregnancy is over. And we went to the doctor the next week, and we looked up at the ultrasound, and our hope was shattered again by another image of an empty sack. The doctor said, this is surely a miscarriage, as we were already eight, nine weeks into the pregnancy. She recommended a DNC right away. Uh, When we heard that, we decided to be bold. We, We asked the doctor, you know what, can we wait two more weeks and come see you then? So the doctor said, all right, well, you might get a spontaneous miscarriage in between. But if you want to wait two more weeks, go ahead, wait two more weeks. So we decided to wait two more weeks. It was very difficult, but we decided to wait. Saturday, March 16th, we had another leadership meeting. And we told the leadership of our predicament, and we asked everyone to pray with us for a miracle. Aaron was filled with great hope around this time. And uh, I was just struggling to believe, but I continued to trust God for a miracle. And you know what? We, we, we can't lie. We struggle with our doubts. We had our doubts. We try to rebuke uh, disbelief. And for what was revealed, we believed that God had promised us that this pregnancy would be healthy. And we were holding on to Deuteronomy 28.11, where God promises and says, I will prosper the fruit of your womb the fruit of your livestock and the fruit of the ground in which the Lord your God has sworn to give to your forefathers. We're holding, we're standing on that promise. Deuteronomy 28:11. We're also standing on uh, Exodus 23:26, where God tells a people of covenant, none shall miscarry or be barren in your land. And so we just continue to believe. We start continue to hold on to these promises. So that Saturday, March 16th, we announced it to the leadership and they started to join us in prayer. It was a very vulnerable thing for us to do, uh, but we went forth and we shared with the leadership because here at our church, we trust our leadership because our leadership, they they have a high level of commitment and they're really walking uh, according to the word of God. And so we really trust our leaders. And so we share with them. Monday, March 18th, I ended up signing a contract for a office building in Hongdae called the Sangha building. It wasn't as big or as nice as that Westgate building that we have found. But as we continue to search, it was the best space that was available. So I went and I signed that contract. Now, during this week of Monday, March 18th, Pastor Rodney Henderson from IHOP came and stayed at our home. And he empathized with us because he and Belinda shared that they had two miscarriages that they had experienced as well. And so having him in our home renewed our hope. And last Sunday, during Sunday Swim, Pastor uh, Ronnie Henderson, along with our leaders, they laid hands on us and they prayed for us before our, uh, before our doctor's visit. And uh, Monday, this past Monday, March 25th, we went to the doctor. 
expecting and hopeful that we will see a miracle. But unfortunately, the sack was still empty. So this is around the ninth or tenth week. And uh, we believe that on our, on our hearts, we did all we can to believe to the very end. And uh, we didn't see the miracle we were hoping for. And out of concern for Aaron's health, uh, and there were many signs that uh, the baby in that sack had, we had lost that baby early on in the pregnancy because the sack was starting to shrink and everything. Um, so we ended up getting a DNC on Monday. Uh, so this was a very difficult time for us this past Monday. And so... I'll confess that my emotions were very numb that day because I was so preoccupied with making sure Aaron was okay. And I was also preoccupied with how am I going to share this with the church community? Because so many pastors, they go through miscarriages. And even other pastors that I've been kind of confiding in, they've been all sharing with me. Oh, yeah, we had one, one miscarriage too. We had two miscarriages too. All these people are telling us, but many of them, they oftentimes they will go through it privately. And you know what? I don't blame them. Because you know what? For most pastors, their congregations, it's not safe. <laughs> if they share with their congregations, then people are going to say all kinds of foolish things to try to comfort them. All kinds of well-meaning things, but things that can actually be quite destructive. Lacking empathy. And so a lot of these pastors, they choose to just go through it privately. I don't blame them. Uh, but we knew that New Philly is a different community. You know, we, we trust you guys. And we believe that how we went through, how we go through this, uh, if we tell you like two years from now, uh, you know, after we already have a baby, hey, by the way, we had a miscarriage a couple of years ago. And in between, like five of y'all had went through something similar and you felt very alone and isolated. I was like, man, I'm not having that. I'm not going to let my congregation go through that. And so I was thinking about, I was preoccupied with how Aaron's doing and how I was going to end up sharing with you guys. Uh, I'm really, really thankful for uh, on Monday, my sister also took time out of her work. She took like five hours out of her work. I hope her boss did not notice that she took a five-hour lunch break. <laughs> uh, but it was really, um, my sister's presence was really um, uh, representative of God's presence for us. Because she helped translate, but not only that, she... Uh, she just sat with us. After Erin got the DNC, she went inside this cold, dark room by herself. Doctor was very mean. You know what the doctor said to her? First, uh, this is, uh, God bless the doctor. But, you know, she's just, maybe she's numb because she's done so many of these. She came up to Erin and she said, are you ready to accept this miscarriage? Are you ready now? And then, uh, she was put under uh, anesthesia. She woke up. She was in a lot of pain. The nurses were very mean for whatever reason. Um, and so I had to demand to the nurse, can we go in and, and be with her? It had been like 40 minutes since the operation. I'm like, can we at least go in and be with her? And so finally we went in. And uh, you know, I went in. I sat down by, by Aaron's bed. And it was really hard to watch because Aaron, Aaron was just crying. She was in so she just kept on crying. Uh, her pillow was completely soaked in tears. Uh, I know that she was in physical pain as well as a lot of emotional pain. 
And you know what? I can't, I can't lie. My, my emotions were numb because I was so preoccupied making sure she's okay, making sure she's healthy. My emotions were numb. I, mean, I looked over at my sister, and my sister is just gently crying as well. And, you know, I knew that, that that was a sign of God's presence to me. That even though I couldn't see it in the natural, that Jesus was there in that room with us. And he was, he was just being present with us. So it, it was really, um, really thankful for my sister that she, she wasn't planning to come, but she ended up coming. And uh, really glad that she was there with us. So, yeah, I just took a little tissue and I was trying to wipe, wipe away Erin's tears because her pillow was getting all soaked. And I didn't want her to get a kamgi, you know, I didn't want to get it sick. And, you know, and so I just trying to keep wiping away her tears, but she kept coming down more and more tears. So I'm just, just wiping more and more. <laughs> She kept crying, crying. I was like, honey, are you in pain? And she just would not say anything. She just kept crying. And I was just trying to pray to the Lord. And let me tell you, as a pastor, you will think, oh, you know, pastors have no issues praying to God in those hard circumstances. Man, I was at a loss for words. And I was like, God, we, we believed your promises. We held on to the end. We, we fought against disbelief and doubt. And we just believed to the end. And Lord, how can, how can this happen? How can you let your servant be put to shame? Lord. And I, you know, I didn't even articulate that well. I was just like, Lord. And I just, I just, I didn't know what to say. So it was a very difficult past five, six weeks for Aaron and myself. Why did this happen to us? I don't know. I don't know. Is there unrepentant sin in our lives? Well, as far as we can tell, we've been searching and searching, none that we know of. Does Satan target us because we're doing powerful ministry? Probably. But does Satan, uh, was he successful in his attempt to attack us? Because we didn't pray enough? Because we didn't have enough faith? Now, I don't know. I don't know the answer to these questions. But can I just tell you, this has been the most difficult season of my life. My prayers, a lot, of, from a lot of my life, I've seen my prayers do amazing things. God's answered my prayers in powerful ways. I've seen sick people healed. I've seen miracles. People who had job search issues get instant breakthrough because of, of one prayer I pray for them. I've seen this new Philly community built up. With the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word. A lot of it through prayer. You guys know we're a church that prays. But man, during the season, my prayers for the office search felt so useless, so helpless. My prayers for our pregnancy felt so helpless. I know the Bible says the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. But it was really difficult to believe that word during this time. I've never felt so helpless and useless in my life. And in the midst of all this, I preach a message called be fully present. But my emotions are numb. And I'm asking God, Lord, help me to be fully present. What's going on? And just silence. And you know what? I know that the healthy thing is eventually I need to properly grieve for this baby. 
But I can't lie. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. And you know what? If you're a guy in here, this is, this is what guys go through. Or, or, or pretty tough girls and guys, they go through this. <laughs> Whatever reason, you know, our, emotions, our emotions are a little bit late. They're a little slower than, than women are. But don't, don't stay in that numbness. Eventually, you're gonna, you need to grieve, especially if you lose someone that's really meaningful to you. You know? Or if something devastating happens, some kind of trauma happens. I mean, you got to properly get angry, properly get, uh, properly grieve before you forgive and before you get God's healing. Even though I don't know why this happened to us and I've never felt more helpless in my life, one thing I know is that Christ is still on the throne. How do I know Christ is on the throne? Because the Bible tells us that 2,000 years ago, Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried. But on the third day, the tomb was empty because he had risen from the dead. And the Bible says that after he was risen, he appeared to as many as 500 people. And then he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus is on the throne. So I don't know what you're going through right now personally. And I don't know how you're handling the whole North Korean threat situation. But however way you want to handle it, make sure you have clarity that Jesus is on the throne. There's, need to, there's no need to fret. There's no need to panic. Because Christ is on that throne. And even though there are all these great threats of war from North Korea right now. We're not going to panic. We're going to pray. And we're going to trust that all the promises of God for this nation will be fulfilled. And we're going to make decisions, not of fear, but of faith. Because Jesus is on that throne. Tell you something about our God. If you're not familiar with who our God is today, let me tell you, God is a God who is sovereign. He is never forced into making a single decision. God does all that he pleases. He's not manipulated. He reigns supreme. And his will shall continue to move forward. Because God is a commitment keeper. He's a God who is faithful to his promises and covenants. He's an on-time God. You know, Chuck Hagel and U.S. government right now, they are deathly afraid of one mistake. Or, or being late about a preemptive strike. But let me tell you something right now. God is an on-time God. And no nuclear threats of Satan via North Korea will be able to frustrate the timing of God for this nation. So long as God's people pray, and we engage his heart and pray his will be done at this time, God will be punctual for all the plans that he has revealed. Rumors of war are not a sign of just a North Korea attack. If you read the Bible, rumors of war are actually a sign of Jesus' return. You know, I read one time that uh, U.S. right now has 30,000 soldiers here in Korea. And uh, one expert said that those 30,000 U.S. soldiers, even if they try with all their heart, they will not be able to deter a North Korean invasion. So essentially, this expert said, those 30,000 U.S. soldiers, they're here in Korea as collateral damage for 
America to have a strong incentive to be fully engaged in a war in case North Korea attacks. Do you guys hear what I said? Those 30,000 guys are pretty much, uh, they're just pawns. They're decoys. Uh, If there was a war, they would just simply be there to lose their lives so that 30,000 families of those people would be pushing to be fully involved to make sure that we defend South Korea. I thought that was interesting that the U.S. would do that to their own soldiers. I don't think they tell their soldiers this when they come, you know. They say, you know, train hard. We've got to defend against the North Koreans. You guys know North Korea has a 1.1 million man army? That's huge. South Korea has like five or 600,000 and a bunch of reservists that are probably in PC bongs. You know, they're, they're relieved that they're done with military duty. They're not looking forward to more combat. And then 30,000 U.S. soldiers. About 500, 600,000 South Korean soldiers with 30,000 U.S. soldiers. You know? I mean, but you know what? Here, here's something, right? That's the remnant that the U.S. military, the U.S. government left in Korea to make sure that they can secure this, uh, the, the peace and safety of this land. But let me tell you something about another remnant. It's a church. This is my theology, the remnant theology. Abraham asks God, if you found 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you destroy it? God said, no. What about 30? What about 20? What about, you know, when it came down to it, there were not enough righteous men in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God destroyed it. But what we get from the interesting dialogue is, there's this remnant principle. If God's remnant people are in a certain location, and I think out of the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Christians here in, in Seoul, if they don't represent God's remnant, I don't know who does. And because they are here, and the more we engage in prayer, the more we're going to shift the diplomacy, the, the, the government's uh, ability to try to carry something out will be disarmed. Through our prayers. And because we're here, I believe there will be peace and safety on this peninsula. But it does not mean we, cannot, we can neglect prayer. We've got to pray. So I believe God's got a strategy. U.S. government has a strategy. God's got a strategy. He's going to save South Korea because he has put his people here. You know what? Even if this whole city was godless like Sodom and Gomorrah, if just the 250 of you we're coming out to New Philly every week. <laughs> Korean, Korean American, white, black, Malaysian, whatever. If all, just 250 of you were here, I would still believe, oh, we ain't going to get destroyed. Now, that's my theology. That's my belief. Could I be wrong? Sure, I could be wrong. <laughs> now, I didn't say that to, to shake you up. But I'm just saying, you know. Sometimes God's ways are higher than our ways, and we don't know. We, we may not be able to figure out what God's doing. But I, right now, I, I believe that, that God's going to protect the city. But one thing I'm scared for is America. I'm scared for my nation. I'm a U.S. citizen. I am scared on behalf of the United States of America. With everything that's happening there, I'm scared that there's going to be some kind of attack on U.S. soil in these next couple of weeks. And you know what? 
The only thing that can stop that is how the American church responds at this hour. And frankly, there's not much response. Other than Cindy Jacobs and some other prophetic people that are calling for prayer, nobody's answering that call to prayer. Do you know how many American churches right now? Do you know any American churches right now that are getting to pray about the Korea situation? Not many. So I'm, I'm scared on behalf of my nation. Now, if, you, if you're not a Christian in here, you're just thinking this is all baloney. All right? That's just your own framework of how you're going to interpret this. But I'm, I'm scared on behalf of my nation. And as an American citizen, I'm praying for America. I'm praying that God will not lift his hand of grace from America. God is not done with America yet. God has purposes. There are some awesome churches in America. America is an awesome nation. It has been the scepter of God's righteousness and justice in many ways for the entire earth. And, and we need to keep praying for, for America. Now, not only is Jesus on the throne, but God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is good. Okay? So even though we lost our baby, the cross tells me that Jesus is good. You know, if I conclude my theology interpreting what happened this past month, then it's easy for me to conclude Jesus, that God is not good. I don't get my theology from just my life's events. There's something else that happened in my life. You might not connect it to the narrative of your life, but you know what? You as a Christian, you need to start doing this. The narrative of your life did not begin in 1979 when you were born. Or 1984, or 1988, or however young bucks you there are, right? <laughs> the narrative of your life did not begin the year you were born. The narrative began in eternity past. Where the Bible says God predestined you to be adopted as sons. And that he sent his son 2,000 years ago. What Jesus did 2,000 years ago, his death, resurrection... And ascension, all of that is part of your story. It's part of your life story if you're a Christian. And so I don't interpret how God is good from just based on a few life events this past month. I interpret it based on what God has done in all of history. And there's a big event in that history called the cross. And the cross tells me that Jesus is good. Sometimes we try to take our comfort from our pain. Uh, We try to take comfort from our pain. By looking to the resurrection. Moving on to hope of a better day. But let me tell you, that's not a good idea. Don't do that so quickly. There's a reason why Jesus rose on the third day. You ever think about that? Why didn't Jesus rise again five hours later? Wouldn't that that be a little bit better? Now save everybody the pain and agony of mourning your death, Jesus. He rose again on the third day. Can you imagine what happened in between the the death and the resurrection? And sometimes we as Christians, when we go through something, we try to fast forward to the resurrection. But let me tell you something right now. Jesus didn't do that. God didn't do that. God sent his son to die on the cross and did not fast forward that morning time. And sometimes we got to stop fast forwarding through our emotions. Us men, all the men in here, stop numbing yourselves to all the tough things that happens in your life. That's not courage. 
That's not manly. That's cowardly. And so I know I, I, I'm kind of numb right now, but I, I'm, I'm hitting. Like I'm, I'm, I know that any moment right now, I'll just start breaking down and crying. And if I do that, I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to be glad. I'm going to be glad. Because it takes courage to face up to the real emotions of what really happened. Don't fast forward to the resurrection and the hope so fast. Stay at the cross. Because that's where you're going to find God's comfort. Without death, there is no resurrection. Without proper grieving, there is no true comfort. How do I know Jesus is good? Jesus took those stripes across his back. And if I would take a minute just to be fully present with him when he was being striped across that back. That's why we're so thankful to Mel Gibson, right? He made a movie where it forces you to be fully present at the cross. It's easy for us just to use our imagination. Oh, it's so bloody. I don't want to think about it and stop. But Mel Gibson says, no, (laughs) be fully present. You know, Campus Crusade makes a Jesus film and, you know, it's all like rated PG, you know. But Mel Gibson is like rated R and, you know, it's the only rated R movie that Christian parents will take their children to. (laughs) But what he did for us, I'm thankful for because it forces us to be fully present with Jesus at the cross. To see the stripes he took across his back for our supernatural, physical and inner healing. To... To look at the the amount of blood that Jesus shed for us to atone for our sin. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement for sin. Looking upon the crown of thorns, the spit that he took, the slaps that he took, being stripped naked so that we can be clothed in righteousness and dignity. Jesus was nailed to the cross and he breathed his last so that we can receive the gift of everlasting life. You know, sometimes when you go through something tough, it's important that you get a revelation of God's goodness at the cross. We need to learn how to be fully present. We need to stop being a microwave generation that wants everything done. 4G, 5G, 7, give me 10G. I'm talking about the internet connection, right? You know, what about the days of dial-up? Remember (laughs) dial-up? Remember that when you had to wait for the internet? Sometimes we got to do that with our theology. That's what we got to do that with our, with our relationship with God. God, give me an answer. You're not giving me an answer? All right, I'm, I'm just move on and look at something else. No, we, we need to learn how to, especially when we deal with the cross. So a couple of days ago was Good Friday. Why is Good Friday called Good Friday? Because it's the day on which Jesus did the most good for humanity. When he died on that cross. That's why we call it Good Friday, because on that cross, we get a revelation of his goodness. And it's a revelation that does not have to shake you when you go through something difficult. Jesus on that cross, he was fully present. I'll tell you that right now. You know how I know? Because the gospel tells us. Jesus said, I thirst. If Jesus was thinking about eternity future, thinking about all the angelic hosts, he's thinking about what he has to do for the next millennium. Or he's being nostalgic about his childhood days when it was better days with his mother Mary. If he was thinking about that, you think he'll say, I thirst? No. Jesus was fully present at the cross. He also said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. 
That means he felt the pain of all the people that believed his miracles the week before, now cursing him on the cross. He felt the pain of that. And he said, Father, forgive them. And the greatest revelation we get on the cross is, Jesus said in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said that because he was fully present and he realized in that moment on the cross that the anointing of the Holy Spirit had left him and that the presence and love of the Father had abandoned him. Jesus didn't fast forward through that. He endured and experienced the fullness of that. And you know why I did that? He did that so that when you go through a miscarriage, and you can't feel his presence, and your emotions are numb, he was fully present at the cross so that even though your emotions are numb, your faith can trust. He's fully present with you in that pain. He's fully present with you in that suffering. He's fully present with you at that hospital bed. If we in turn will take a moment every Good Friday and every Easter, if we just take a moment to be fully present with Jesus at the cross, you know what communion is? Communion is a constant invitation for God's people to not only celebrate, but just to meditate upon the cross. Remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Communion is an invitation into that, to be fully present. If, we, if you would just learn to identify with the passion and pain that Jesus endured on that cross, you will get a revelation that God is not apathetic. That Jesus identifies with your pain. And he may not give you all the answers. But he gives you his presence. He gives you his love. And out of that moment, he points us to the resurrection. So on this Easter Sunday... Let's not fast forward to the resurrection. The resurrection can only be fully appreciated and treasured from the place of the cross. From the place of those hours in between where there seemed like there was no hope. Where it seemed like every mission of Jesus and every promise of God had failed. It's from that place that we can truly treasure and worship God for the resurrection. That's when we can hold on to hope. Bible says that God is a God who turns all things for our good. And so I'm thankful that God's fully present with Aaron and I through this very difficult time. Um, He's fully present with us despite all the North Korean threats. And I know that no matter what happens, 
I don't know how this whole North Korea th- situation is going to work out. We're hoping f- that there's peace, right? We're hoping that there's no military provocation at all. But we don't know how it's going to work out. But one thing we've got to believe is that he's going to turn it off for good. He's going to turn it off for good. While we're here on this earth, the time remaining here, we are going to see that promise fulfilled over and over again. He's going to turn things for good. He's going to turn things for good. He's going to turn things for good. And then when Jesus returns, he's going to make it all new. If you're in here, you don't know Jesus today. Man, it must be really tough. It must be really tough for you to live life without God's presence. Because you know what? With God's presence, it's still tough. And I just want to invite you. If you don't know Jesus, come to the foot of the cross. Turn from your sinful ways. Turn from your sin. Turn from what you think is good or evil and begin to submit to what God says is good or evil. Turn from your ways and give your life to Jesus. And you will feel his presence, his love. And you will also see great hope in the resurrection and upon his return. I just want to ask everyone to bow your heads. If there's anyone in here, if there's anyone in here and you don't know Jesus yet, and you've been kind of exploring Christianity or you grew up in the church, but you never made a personal decision to put your faith in Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I'll give you an opportunity to, to turn from you being the master of your life and submitting to Jesus letting him take the steering wheel trusting him to guide and lead you there's some people in here right now and you've been through a crazy intense trauma much tougher than what Aaron and I just went through and the heart of God just breaks for you but it's so hard for you to see that because you don't know Jesus. Because you keep thinking it's just religion. You keep thinking it's your parents' faith. You keep thinking those Christians, they don't know what they're talking about. It's a crutch for people who, who are weak. And those are all deceptions of, the, of the, the lies of the enemy to keep you from the revelation of his love and presence in your life. I believe God even wants to take you back to some of those painful memories and to give you a revelation that he has always been God Emmanuel. Not from the moment you receive him, but even before you got a revelation of who he is, he was God Emmanuel with you at all times. Today, I just want to stop keeping you from that relationship. So if there's anyone in here you want to um, you want to become a Christian you want to you want to put your faith in Christ personally 
and begin to live for him. I just want you to just stand to your feet and I'll just lead you through a simple prayer where you can put your faith in Jesus. So I invite you to do that right now.